0: Hey everybody, how you doing? So I say that every week and I, you know, I know I'm just, the reality is I'm not doing great right now. I'm just gonna tell you the truth. I'm feeling a little, you know what I'm saying? I, I, yeah, I'm struggling a little with my attitude. Now, believe me, it's nothing like you moms who are staying home with the kids and it's nothing like that. It's just, I just feeling a little, a little bit cooped up right now, you know what I'm saying? So I'm trying to figure out what's an analogy of what I'm feeling And uh, we're coming off Easter, Easter was great And I, I feel like, you know, Easter is about spring Having grown up in the Midwest and they won't let me loose <laughs> I have to be at home or whatever And it's not quite as bad for me as it is for some other folks But the reality is I feel like, um, yeah, yeah, here's the picture maybe Maybe the picture is, have you ever seen a, a baby who doesn't want to go to sleep and mom or dad take them and they just hold them and they're struggling and they're doing it and the mom just hold them hold them until eventually they calm down i feel like right now i'm in that i want to do something i want to go somewhere i want to be and i just feel like there's this hand on me going you can't You, you gotta stay And then I'd spin out emotionally and mentally. I started watching TV and I want to blame somebody for this and they're making bad decisions and we need to do this after all. And here's what I had to realize is that maybe it's not the circumstances. Maybe it's not even the virus. Maybe it's God who's gotten me pinned down and is trying to teach me something. I mean, as long as I'm pinned down, I'm not saying God sent the virus or any of that stuff, but I'm, maybe it's God who's saying, just, just calm. Let the tension go out of your body and, and all of the struggling and all of the, let it go and let me teach you something. I think maybe we can flip the script on this whole virus thing if we would just kind of melt into God's embrace and I don't mean some warm, fuzzy, ooey-gooey thing. I mean, give in to what he might be trying to teach you. So there's this passage. It's one of my favorite passages. And it's found in Acts, and it's uh, chapter 26. I think it's on verse 14, if I remember right. And it's Paul, the apostle Paul, when he gets knocked off his horse, you know, and, and by the bright light on the road to Damascus, and he has this conversion experience. And there is a phrase in there, and it's when Jesus says to him, um, it is hard Kicking against the goads. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Well, that describes so much of my life. So let me just explain. It's it's an agrarian kind of thing, but it was also a well known uh, a well known phrase among uh, Greek the Greek world. And it means, uh, it means fighting against the gods, but it's a more, so so. Paul, in telling his story, uses that, uh, not so much for Jews to understand this story, but for Greeks who could understand a familiar phrase. But what it comes from is comes from an agricultural thing. And, and, and so if, let's say you were, you were plowing a field, you had a team of oxen, okay? And, and if you've been around livestock at all, you know that they need a little encouragement sometimes. They need a prod or a goad to kind of get them moving, which you would too if you had something strapped on your back you didn't want to carry around and pulling in the dirt, right? And so there's this goad, there's this little, little poker. And so this little stick might have a little sharp in and nothing that's going to do them any damage, but just enough to get their attention, kind of keep them moving. Now, if you are uh, uh, trying to move these oxen forward and they're really kind of in a bad mood, they're kind of stubborn, they're kind of honry or whatever, there's a chance that you got to be careful. And so, so I know this, I haven't been around horses a lot. When you walk behind a horse, you got to be careful. You want to walk up close to them. You want to have your hand on the top of their rear end so they can't get their rear end up and get enough speed to really kick you good because they will, because they'll do that. They'll let you know they're not happy about something. And so the picture here is that when the farmer goads, prods, the animals move forward, they might just kick. They might just kick back at that thing. It doesn't do any good. All it does is a kick. And, and if they happen to miss their hoof, it hits a hoof. It doesn't do anything. If it hits above the hoof, they're going to feel a little pain because of the sharpness of the goad. And so what Jesus says to Paul is you've been fighting against them. Remember, Paul was persecuting Christians, killing them all over the place. You have been kicking against the goads. You've been fighting against what I'm trying to do in the world and specifically in your life. So I'm just going to knock you down. I'm just going to knock you down for a while. And you're going to listen up. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, that uh, does some work around here. He's a great guy. And uh, I said, what do you think's happening in the world? He said, uh, I think God just pushed a giant pause button. <laughs> I thought, that's pretty insightful. The truth is that many of us have been kind of kicking against what God wants to do in our life, kicking against what God wants to do through our lives, and kicking against this, that, and the other thing, fighting God at every turn. And in reality, maybe this pause button is there for a reason. Maybe God could use this pause button to do something in your life and my life and we could flip the script on this whole thing. Rather than being victims and being kind of having to to kind of just make it through and survive and, and what if God wants to do something else? What if he wants to grow us up in the process of it, so that we come out of this with a different perspective, maybe even a different mission or a clear view of our mission and a different tenacity along with a new perspective? What if that's what's supposed to happen? So could we grab this situation, kind of quit fighting against it, quit being angry because we're stuck here, quit being mad at the people who made the decisions, trying to second guess their decisions. Decisions are made at this point. And by the way, here's, Here's my take going forward. It's not going to get easier because right now we're all in rah-rah mode. Right now we're all like, okay, we got to save each other and we got to, but it's going to get less and less. So when less and less paychecks show up and we have less and less uh, confidence in the numbers that we've been told, we may start to go, okay, let's get this thing moving. And then it's going to get political. I'm just telling you stuff does because humans are humans. Here's what we got to do. We've got to latch on to something bigger than this situation and even bigger than our own comfort in this situation. We have got to get out from under the the under-the-sun mindset. The the under-the-sun mindset, I think humans... Yeah. <laughs> we have a thing called willpower, but willpower only lasts so long. We run out of willpower pretty quickly. So far, we've been able to harness our willpower because we want to save people's lives. We've been told that this will do it and and we've been willing to do it. But at some point we're going to turn out of, uh, run out of willpower. We're going to operate on what we normally operate on, which is, I dare say this? If it's true of me, can I say it of all of us? Because I think it is selfishness. At some point, self-interest, whether it's through a political system or through just my own own desire. We've seen it already, people still out partying when they're supposed to be at home. We've seen some self-interest already, but I have a feeling it's gonna rear its ugly head in the days to come, and I don't wanna be one of the people who is operating on the basis of self-interest. I wanna be operating not even on what is best for all of us. I wanna be operating on something greater, something bigger, Something not under the sun, as was talked about uh, in Ecclesiastes, but something beyond kind of the physical world I live in. I want to operate according to a a bigger purpose, a bigger rule. And I think that I have a chance to recommit myself to do that in... Maybe in a deeper way than ever before. So, uh, this week and in the next couple of weeks, uh, Cody and I want to do a, a series, and it's about um, flip the script. How do we take what is meant for evil? And I, I believe this virus is evil. I don't know the source of it for sure, but, but I think it's evil. How do we flip that for good? Um, you know, Jesus dying on the cross was a pretty evil thing and yet we see coming out of that story of not only the cross, but then the resurrection, that the early church flipped the script on that in, in the greatest way ever in history. and it never been done before. These few people flipped the script because they saw the resurrected Savior and they changed the world. It changed everything about the world. What have you and I come out of this? Here's my fear is that if we don't, get a hold of something bigger, something more powerful, something more important. If we don't do that, my fear is that we're to come out of this just like we did 9-11. People are gonna be kind of ooey gooey for a while and and caring for each other and all of a sudden, then it's just back to normal and we'll have forgotten it. Or any other disaster that happens. We're all kind of in it together for a while and then we just go back to normal. But what if normal wasn't good enough? What if normal wasn't really what it was supposed to be? What if normal was just us being selfish and, hiding hiding it as best we could. What if we're supposed to have a a truly new normal? And it's not about washing hands and not shaking hands. It's a new normal where our life, our entire life is about something more. What if we learn a life lesson that lasts forever? I think that could really make a difference. Well, Cody and I are gonna do this series. We're gonna do it for the early Uh, church, the book of Acts. Acts is a book written by Luke. It's the second part, Luke, Acts, and he wrote it about how that early group of believers just flipped the script on something evil, on the cross, on the worst thing that ever happened in history that turned in because of the resurrection to the greatest thing that ever happened in history, and how we can learn from the early church to make some impact. So today, I just want to spend a few minutes talking about some things that we need to get right, and so in the in the first uh, chapter of Acts, we we find um, that it talks about how Jesus ascended into heaven, but in that process, there are some important things that that happen. So let me just read for you um, the first eleven verses of of the book of Acts, uh, first chapter. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now, here's where it kind of kicks in where I think we can learn some really good stuff. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John the Baptist baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who, who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way as you have seen him go into heaven. In this passage, we find that Jesus, I, I was teaching, a, I was teaching a, a basic class many years ago and a fairly well-educated woman, but had no background in faith, said, now after after the resurrection, did Jesus get married and have a family? And, was, no. Here's the the next part of the story. After the resurrection, Jesus met with many disciples. 500 people saw the resurrected Savior, maybe more. And then he was taken up in heaven. But before he went, he left some instructions. And here is the beginning of world change. Here is the beginning of flipping the script uh, when the disciples begin to take on the mission themselves, as as he told them they would. Here's one of the first things that needs to happen if we're gonna flip the script on what we've seen happen, and that is to believe, to truly believe, to have faith in Jesus, not blind faith. Uh, The existence of Jesus is almost denied by almost no one who's ever studied it. Even atheists who study this understand who Jesus was. His existence is not denied. Even his resurrection um, is is. Not that hard to come to if you understand the early text, the early manuscripts, the early teachings of the church. It's not just somebody who later said, oh, he's God, is resurrected. No, it was immediate. It was right there. There's some great things we can read to help us in our faith. But we just came out of Easter. Here's the first thing we got to decide. Was Easter true or not? Is Easter a fable? Which, by the way, if you want to believe that, if you want to believe the most important thing that changed all of history, by every account... Um, if you want to believe it wasn't true, you better do some research. You better make sure you've got something to stand on. Don't just go with an easy, lazy, intellectual kind of, ah, it's not true. You better find some ways to deal with the issue of the resurrection because there are a lot of people that saw him. A lot of people not only said that they saw the resurrected Savior, they went to their death saying that, meaning they died for a lie if it wasn't true. And for all of those people to imagine it, Never happened before, why would it happen now? There's just a lot of proofs for the resurrection. And if indeed the resurrection did happen, then us putting our faith in the resurrection is an important part of this flipping the script. Do I believe the resurrection? Do I believe Jesus was who he said he was? And if so, then what does that mean? What does that mean for me? In verse three, at the beginning of verse three, I just read to you a moment ago, it says, after suffering, he presented himself to them and, and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. In other words, they weren't, they weren't predisposed to believe it was him either. They were looking and going, I've never seen a resurrected, maybe I imagine, maybe we eat something. Let me see your hands, let me see your, let me see your side. They were, they, were, they were just as rational as you and I. And yet the proof, James is one of the wonderful examples of this. The proof is that even those who didn't believe Jesus before, the brother, the biological half brother of Jesus, didn't believe until the resurrection. And then he believed. If we're gonna call ourselves Christians and if we wanna flip the script on this thing, if we're gonna do all of that, then we need to believe in the resurrection and all that that entails. Because if there is power enough to bring Jesus back from the dead, then there's power enough to, to bring whatever struggles you've got to flip the switch on them, flip the script on them, and turn them into something incredible. So belief. In the second part of that verse, he says, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, here is what accompanies this. If the resurrection happened, it is not an isolated event. It is a part of God's redemptive plan throughout history to reconcile us to our creator and to bring the kingdom of God, the kind of life we were created to live, to begin to bring that into reality in our lives. So if I believe in the resurrection, then I need to believe in the kingdom of God. But what's the kingdom of God? Well, one of the greatest ways to understand the kingdom of God is look at the kingdom of God in opposition or contrast to the kingdom of this world. I mentioned something a while ago, and it's probably just fresh in my brain, and I'm not trying to stir up controversy, but I'm beginning to see kind of a break and some cracks in the alliances of, of bipartisanship and dealing with this thing. And And my fear is that if we get out of this thing and we try to go back to life as normal, whenever that happens, we're going to have another election and we're going to be promised things that won't happen from both sides. And there'll be name calling and there'll be accusations and investigations. There'll be all kinds of craziness that's going to happen. But at the end of the day, that's the kingdoms of this world. And the answers we're looking for and the meaning we're looking for and the purpose we're looking for is not to be found in the kingdoms of this world. It's not to be found in... See, that's what the disciples believed in before the resurrection. They believed that if they could just be the greatest in the kingdom, Jesus, you'll be in charge. That's okay. You'll be in charge. But let me be in charge of this over here. Let me be in charge of this over here. Let me take it. It's all about self. It's all about self-promotion. It's all about under the sun kind of thinking. At some point as Christians, we've got to move our mindset beyond just what I want or my normal mode of operation. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a little bit sickened by the jockeying I'm seeing. Even as the trends start to, maybe we flatten the curve a little bit, it looks like. Even as the trends kind of start to look like we may make it through this thing with not as much loss of life as we thought, I'm already seeing people jockeying to get in position for whatever they think is going to happen in the kingdom, the kingdoms of this earth. Already I'm thinking, guys, 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 didn't we just catch a glimpse of something better? Didn't we just catch a glimpse of humanity caring for each other? But I know we can't sustain it because it's not in us. What is in us is jockeying for position. But when you become a Christian, when you believe in the resurrection, you give up the jockeying for position and you join a different kingdom, a kingdom where the the first shall be last and the last shall be first and and the greatest among you must be servant of all. And we find a different kind of kingdom. And at some point as Christian, you must decide I'm going to live fully 100% in that kingdom because everything else is a distraction and detracts from the life that God created me to live. And so he says, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Do I believe in Jesus? Do I believe in the resurrection? Do I believe in, and and believing doesn't just mean mental ascent. Am I invested in a relationship with his risen Savior? And am I invested in seeing his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? I just had a weird thought. What does it mean to have God's kingdom come in the age of hoarding toilet paper? (laughs) See, I believe the kingdom has practical implications every day for how we live our lives. And it's almost always counterintuitive. It is is counterintuitive. It it is not conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom says, I need to get what I need. The kingdom says, give. Give give and God will give you what you need. It's a whole different source. It's a whole different deal. I need to believe in Jesus. I need to believe and be invested in him and in his kingdom. And then in verses four through eight, then we are, we are given a a, a helper, if you will, a, a different way to live because that, that willpower we think we have is very short lived. We're kind of like a I, I can look out my window at the office and see quarter horses training. We're a little like quarter horses. Quarter horses run really fast for a quarter of a mile. That's why they're called quarter horses. And then they run out of run out of breath. Our our willpower is a little like that. We run really hard till about lunch, <laughs> and the willpower is gone, and the donuts look great. You know what I'm saying? But there is something more. If we believe in Jesus, invest our lives in Jesus and his kingdom, then he says, let me be the power you need. Here, Listen to this in verses four through eight. I'll reread those for you. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now this baptize the Holy Spirit means that God himself, a part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is gonna come and live with you and walk with you and empower you to live a different kind of life. And then they, I mean, it's really interesting because then they go back to this old paradigm and they can't seem to lose it. They can't seem to get beyond it. Then they gather around him and ask, Lord, are you at this time gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? And he says, guys, it's not up to you to know what I'm gonna do and when I'm gonna do it because God will restore his kingdom, but it's not at all what they think. He's not gonna overthrow the Romans and have a little geopolitical kingdom there. It's all of the earth for all time going forward. They don't get that still. They're still caught in a wrong paradigm as you and I get caught a lot in a wrong paradigm again. But he says, if you let me send the Holy Spirit, if you will allow the Holy Spirit to come and guide you, you can live a different kind of life. So let me just pause, just saying, okay, there's a lot of history. What would it mean to be empowered by the Holy Spirit right now where you are today? Because in this passage, in Acts 1.8, uh, the very next passage, it says something really important. So that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth." Very famous passage, but rarely lived out very well, I think. What does it mean that there is power, that you will receive power? So I believe the Holy Spirit comes and does several things in your life. In this passage, the ultimate purpose of of the power of the Holy Spirit is so that we can witness to others, tell others about this other kingdom, this not self-based, selfish, self-promoting kingdom, but this kingdom of God in which the, the first shall be last and the last shall be first and the greatest will be servant of all. There is this power to share that. But the Holy Spirit also does other things in Scripture. He comforts us when we're struggling. So, for example, right now, you may be struggling. Some of you really, really are struggling. Some of you are extreme extroverts. I'm not. I'm an introvert. Um, So being alone isn't the worst thing that could happen to me. I actually receive energy from that. But for some of you, it's just how you're made. You're an extreme extrovert. And right now, you've been cooped up at home, and you can't. So let me give you an illustration of this. I don't know if I'm allowed to tell this, but who's going to stop me? There's nobody here. So <laughs> uh, right before Easter, we invited families to come in and, and drive through and they could pick up on a table and we followed all the protocols that they use for LA school district when they hand out food. We're very careful with everything. The kids could come get a little Easter uh, treat, uh, drive through, and it's just an outing. And they said one of the most interesting things happened is, is that several, many, many, people, as they drove through, just seeing our volunteers, even behind the masks, and some of the volunteers would drop the masks so the kids could recognize them and stuff, but from a distance, just began to cry because they had felt, and so we're saying, why was that? They had felt so isolated, so alone for the past month as they're trying to be good moms or good dads, and they're trying to raise these kids. And it just pointed out that this is a really hard time. Whether you're an extreme extrovert, it's really hard for you. Or whether you'd like to have just a conversation with an adult for a change. It's a really hard time. As we're calling our congregation, just checking in on people, we're finding that people just want to talk. And We had one mom just say, could I just call you back and talk to you every couple of days? Because this is really hard. See, We need each other for that. And we'll talk more about that next week. But the Holy Spirit has come to bring comfort to us, real comfort. And so while talking to each other is helpful and it's good and it's appropriate and it's biblical, maybe we should do something else. We should begin in prayer. Because as we find going through the rest of this little section here, we find that the first thing that Jesus told them to do was to go and pray, to invite the Holy Spirit to empower them. To both be witnesses, but also to empower them through comforting them, through teaching. We're taught that the Holy Spirit teaches us through God's word. If we did nothing else during this time but learn to stop and pray and invite the Holy Spirit to come and to be with us, to bring the power of God, the power of the resurrection to bear on our present circumstances whether we're at home with a bunch of kids or we're trying to keep a business afloat that is facing all kinds of challenges and we're just hanging on by the skin of our teeth the holy spirit can empower us to deal differently if we go through this dependent upon the power of the holy spirit we can come out of this with a different set of experiences a different depth of character. We didn't just make it through barely, but we walked through this and are stronger now because we've learned to depend on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come and empower you. The Holy Spirit will empower you and give you a fresh purpose. What's amazing is during these times when we're locked up, we're not allowed to talk to people. I've heard of some of the most wonderful, incredible conversations happening where people are just online or on the phone having just deeper kind of conversations where it's kind of silly to ask about the weather and it's kind of silly to, hey, you're doing good, we're doing good. And you gotta get to some real stuff. And the Holy Spirit can empower us to be witnesses to those around us in our neighborhood, to those far off, even family who are far away. That's a part of what happened with the first church, the early church. They flipped the script on a very evil thing, the cross. And God used it to his glory and began the church and did amazing things. There's one more thing that we, we need to come to grips with and believe in and invest in, and that is found in verses nine through 11. This is after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men, angels, by the way, dressed in white stood beside them. I love this phrase. It's a funny phrase to me. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? In other words, what are you gawking for? Let's get going. We got things to do. Why are you standing there gawking? Why are you just looking at this thing? Why don't you go do what you know to do? And what they knew to do was go back to Jerusalem and begin to pray. I would suggest that we not only pray that the Holy Spirit come and empower us, but that maybe we learn to be intercessors during this time. We would learn to develop a prayer instinct. Not just a prayer when we're in crisis, not just a prayer we're in trouble, but a prayer for all times, for all people. What if during these times, we were able to find some quiet time to begin to pray for people, to begin to pray for things that we're usually too busy to think about, to begin to pray for, for those who like us are struggling, to pray that the Holy Spirit would empower them, would grow them, would lift them up, and then just send a note to that person, I've been praying for you. No, seriously, I've been praying for you. How are you doing with, and name whatever it is you felt like you should pray for. What would that look like? Reality is I believe that we can develop a prayer instinct. The disciples went back and they joined together in the upper room and they begin to pray together. And as they prayed together, the Holy Spirit came, and it was the beginning of the church. And from that day, it went from like 120 people to, I don't know, over 3,000. All in one day, it was a huge impact. I guess my question for us is, are we developing during this time a prayer instinct? Are we developing a servant mindset mindset? through that prayer instinct. In other words, I'm not only praying for me and that I'll make it through, but I'm praying for you and that you'll not just make it through, but you'll thrive. It's interesting. As we begin to focus on others in prayer, we begin to pray missionally, if that's a word. We begin to pray for others. We might find that the pain we're feeling the discomfort we're feeling the challenges we're feeling in this situation are so much less and our focus begins to be about others and we begin to not only believe in Jesus we begin to invest ourselves in his kingdom and we begin to find that well let me give you one closing illustration Do you remember when Paul was in prison? Much of the New Testament was written while Paul was chained to a soldier. What's interesting is I have this sense as I read about Paul. Can you imagine Paul, the greatest evangelist of all time, I guess, and great theologian. He wasn't so much chained to a soldier as a soldier was chained to him. Sometimes we feel like this is the worst of circumstances for our worldview, the way we look at the world, we might realize that in the kingdom view, this is the best of circumstances. You see, we're not stuck at home. We're given the privilege to be at home in order to invest in those that we love the most and to pray for those that we care about. And maybe it's not just a change of mindset. It's a change of kingdom. It's a change of of mission. It's a change of outcomes. That's not just putting a better face on a bad situation. It is taking a bad situation and just turning it upside down and wringing it out for all it's worth. As a pastoral staff, it's a weird deal for us around here. We don't know what's happening. You know, in ministry, it's kind of nice to have something to count, nickels and noses, you know? Yeah, at least we know if we're doing a good job and nobody shows up next Sunday, we know we did a bad job. Well, guess what? Nobody's showing up any Sunday around here. And we don't even know how to count the online stuff. We get numbers, we don't know what they mean. I mean, really, we're trying to figure it out. We don't know. We're just flying this thing by faith, doing what God's called us to do. But wouldn't it be amazing that if in this time, you know, during communism in both Russia and China, nobody knew what happened to the church. Nobody knew for sure if it survived. And yet when the the veil was pulled back, the church had grown exponentially. There were millions and millions and millions of Christians who had come to faith and nobody even knew about it. My prayer, almost every day, my prayer is that hundreds and thousands of people will come to faith during this pandemic, during this quarantine that thousands and thousands of people. And when the veil is pulled back, we finally see what's happened in a way we can understand it, that God will have done something so amazing, both in the width of the kingdom and in the depth of those of us who are committed to the kingdom, that this will be the beginning of a fresh new revival, a fresh new spiritual awakening, which I don't think any of us would argue we don't need. That is my prayer. But all I can do right now is let it begin with me and then pray that it begins in you. So today, you want to flip the switch on this thing? Let's do what the early church did. Let's believe in Jesus. Let's believe in the power of the resurrection. Let's invest ourselves in his kingdom. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to come, to empower us, to comfort us, to teach us. And let's take hold of this thing and let's turn it upside down and wring every possible good thing out of it that we can and trust God with the outcomes. My prayer is that you are in such a growth mode right now, you don't even know it. Make sure you're focusing on his kingdom and his outcomes and what he wants and he'll take care of you. He will send the Holy Spirit and he will empower you and you will have a different kind of life. And that's what I believe is happening. And that's what I'm praying for. Can I pray for you now? Lord Jesus, we love you. Help us prayer and in, uh, develop a prayer instinct that we pray first. We think about the implications for ourselves or our family. We think about the inconvenience. We think about the discomfort later. <clears throat> but first we just pray and get your opinion. Lord, we can switch channels. We can change news stations and get thousands of different opinions. And half of them are just making stuff up. The other half are just wrong. And I don't think anybody's got this figured out. But Lord, you are not surprised. You are not confused. You are not anxious And you are not on the sidelines. You are in the midst of this thing working in and among us by the power of your Holy Spirit as we allow you to do that. And so today, let us be the kind of people who believe in you, who believe in the power of the resurrection to the point that we invest ourselves in your outcomes, in your kingdom, knowing that if we do that, you'll take care of the rest. Lord, we can spend the next few weeks, months, however long it is, completely focused on our own, our own appetites, our own desires, our own inconveniences, or we can spend it focused on you and what you're doing in the world. Lord God, I'm excited about what you're doing in the world. Help me stay focused on you and your kingdom. Help us, Lord God, by the power of your Holy Spirit to flip the script on this thing and to see an amazing spiritual awakening in our lives and our families and our community. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys. Love you. God bless you.